Welcome to That Book Podcast, where we talk about the books we've read this week so that you can decide if you want to read them or not. Um, I'm Julianne. And I'm Andrew. And we have a great episode in store. Mm -hmm. Andrew is sharing a book recap at the end, so hence why I'm doing most of the talking right now. I guess (laughs) we're saving his voice. (laughs) And um, we also have just a wide variety of books that we read this week that we're excited to talk about. Oh yeah, so let's get into it. My first book is not physical, so if you're watching, I am sorry. I did not have a book in my hands, but it is Dune Messiah. So I read Dune, which I do have in my hands. Uh, I read Dune very, very quickly. It was very fun, Uh, quite long. The rest of the books in the series, so I found out that there's more books in the series. Uh, And I think there's six that he wrote. And uh, we went to the bookstore and I saw a bunch of them and I was like, whoa. So I got the sequel on Libby to listen to on audio. So that's what I've been doing. I'm about 20% of the way through and it's still really good. Um, so I'm really excited to, uh, to continue and it kind of continues the trajectory that was set up in, at the end of this book. I think there's other books, um, that are like prequels or kind of weave in, but this one is like a direct sequel to this book. Um, it's called Dune Messiah and it is, uh, very enjoyable. Uh, I'm, I'm loving the intriguing stuff so far. So it's, so it's good. Okay, cool. I feel like finding out that there are more books in a series has been a theme for you recently. Oh Yeah. Yeah, because you found that out with Dune, and then you also found that out with The Heist, which you read um, over several episodes, and I was was looking it up, putting together some podcast notes, and I said... Yeah, on the podcast, I said I thought it was the third book in the series. Yeah. But it's actually... The 14th. (laughs) So there are a lot more books. (laughs) Yeah, so we apologize. We we have no idea how series work, apparently. (laughs) Just me. (laughs) Oh dear. Yeah. Um, okay. So, did you have anything else you wanted to say about that? No, no, you're good. Okay, I'll go to my book then. Okay, so the book that I mainly read this week Mm -hmm. is called The Eighth Detective by Alex Pavese. I'm not exactly sure how to say his last name, but, um, anyway, it is really good. I, this, this is fun because on Sunday, Andrew was really sweet and, um, he drove by my favorite bookstore on the way home from church, and I was like, <gasps> and then he just stopped, which was very fun. It was kind of a spontaneous, it was, I was planning, I was like, oh, maybe someone to go to the bookstore, and she's like, oh, the bookstore, and I was like, all right, boom, yes. and this, we got this book. Yeah, so I got this book, and I got another book that I read this week. Um, Is that your second book this week? Yes. Ah. So I will I will reveal it shortly. Yes. Um, but this book is, is really fun. I, I couldn't put it down. Um, it's, the premise is, and I'm going to not get into spoilers because I know you're going to want to read it. Thank you. Um, I'm basically just going to describe what's on the jacket cover, but in my own words. Uh Um, so the premise is that there's this mathematics professor who breaks down like detective fiction into its essential parts and like creates this theory of what makes a detective novel. Mm-hmm. And then they say, okay, like, we have the components that go into the detective novel, right? Like, it's only a detective novel if it has these particular components. And so that allows us to um, list every p- permutation of a detective novel mm-hmm. that can exist. Mm-hmm. And so there are certain things that we usually think about being defining in the genre that aren't included because they're like, well, you can actually have a detective novel without that part. It's not necessary. 
Um, and then there are things that we think about as usually being off limits that would actually be included in the definition. Mm-hmm. Um, so the book explains a lot of that, and I won't get into those things. Um, but wait, wait, that sounds very academic. Is it? It like weaves that into it a, like... weaves those themes into it. What? Yes, but the whole premise of the book is actually not so much about the theory, although they talk about it because uh-huh. it's part of the book but about the seven stories that the guy who made the theory wrote to illustrate like some of the, how some of those formats would work. Uh-huh. Um, seven stories. Seven stories. But it's called The Eighth Detective. Well, okay, and here's why. Oh. And this, is on the, this is on the cover, so okay. I'm not getting into spoiler. Okay. I know, like, I, I try to talk to Andrew about this book, and he goes, mm, mm-mm. Wait, it sounds really interesting. Let me read it first. Yes. Um, so I am, I'm, if I seem really defensive, it's not that I try to spoil the book. <laughs> he just, he just wants to read it and I don't want to spoil it for him. So, um, yeah, the, the book was published in the forties, goes largely unnoticed. And then I, I think it's like supposed to be set present day. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe it's published in the fifties. I don't know. It's published way back, self-published. This was, fictional novel. Yeah. This fictional novel mm-hmm. was like widely unnoticed until, um, this small publishing house discovers it and they like only do mysteries so they're like this is perfect we should republish it mm-hmm. um and so the book itself centers around conversations between the woman who will be editing the book and the guy who wrote it she's asking him about the stories and about like the theory and like how those things fit in and she starts to notice basically right off the bat she starts to notice inconsistencies in the stories mm. and so she starts to ask him about those and that's where the title comes from oh. that, like there's a mystery woven in between all the like many oh. mysteries okay so, yep very intriguing it was really good i i couldn't put it down and even though there were times where i was like oh i don't know if i like this format like it, you kind of get a little bit of whiplash mm-hmm. um by the end, I was just like, this is amazing. Yeah, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. There are so many, like, fun, interesting things. Yeah. Okay. So, great. Yeah. All right. Uh, my turn again? Yes. Go ahead. So my second book uh, was also an audio book, and it's Outliers. I will not go into too much detail because I finished it, and it is my slideshow. So yes. Good sneak job. preview for the next, you know, five or ten minutes from now. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but it was, it was really, really good. And, uh, Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm throwing it back to you. Wow, that was fast. Yep. I feel like I had talked enough. You could have taken <laughs> more time there. My second book is vastly different. <laughs> it's called Warner's Nomenclature of Colors, adapted to zoology, botany, chemistry, mineralogy, anatomy, and the arts by P. Sign. And this is a book that was published in 1814 originally. I obviously have a reprint. I do not have <laughs> a first edition or anything like that. Um Smithsonian republished it because it's historically significant. Um, before photography, specifically when this book was first created, um, they did have a common language around colors, and so you could say something was, you know, yellow, and people wouldn't necessarily know like which shade of yellow. They're like, oh, they, mustard or pastel. Right, if they'd never seen the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was an effort to make it more precise. But it's also a really beautiful book. They have pages of just like the different shades of color and they describe how they're made and where you can find them in nature. Uh, it's based off the work of a mineralogist mm-hmm. and it's I think its biggest claim to fame is that Darwin had a copy of it on his voyage and so when he's describing the things that he sees, um, he uses these colors and it kind of adds like a lyrical quality to mm-hmm. what he was writing about, they said. Um, which is interesting. I've never really read Darwin, but obviously it's influential. Mm-hmm. Um, and if he used it, that just kind of shows like how 
many people were probably using it at that point. Yeah. And I just enjoy it. It actually came up, um, I want, I saw it at the bookstore and I was really excited because it, Amazon suggested it to me when I was going down like a home design style, whatever. Where you got, where you got your books that we've talked about. Yeah. I was going down like that rabbit hole yeah. for like interior design and they were like, Oh, you are interested in design. You need this like book of colors. And I was like, yeah, I do. And, and I'm very happy that I have it. It's, it's quite, it's cute. quite beautiful. Yeah. yeah. It's quite beautiful. Yeah. You showed me a page today about whites. Yeah. And one was like, these, this is the white that you find in people's eyes. This is the white on the snowy owl. Those kinds yeah. of things. So mm -hmm. it's it was very cool. cool. Yeah. All right, my turn again? Yep. All right, so my last book is a physical book. It's called One True Sentence. We went to the thrift store um, in the last couple weeks, and I got every mystery novel I could find that was there um, because I've been really enjoying, you know, I got The Heist. Um, maybe that was the only one. I feel like there was another one, um, mystery one that I, that I got, but uh, that I really liked. So I got this one. Yeah, what have you been thinking about it so far? Um, it's been good. It's a little bit more crass than I was expecting because it looks like a nice homey novel and it's set in the 1920s in Paris, which I guess should have been a little bit of a clue. Um, You're like, oh, it's the olden days. It's fine. Yeah. But, uh, but <laughs> yeah, but it is, a, it's, it's, uh, it's enjoyable. The premise is, um, so it's 1920s Paris, um, where basically all of the, like the famous American authors were there for a little bit. And so Ernest Hemingway is one of the main characters. Um, Gertrude Stein is one of the main characters. Um, and all of these literary editors in Paris are getting are getting murdered so yeah it's it and so they're, they gotta unpack what's happening why I haven't gotten to anywhere close to any answers because I'm only like a, a, a quarter or a third of the way through the book um, but yeah it's uh it's been interesting so far um, to see to see some of that um, and it's been yeah it's been really good okay okay and my final book this is one I've mentioned before so I won't take a lot of time on it mm -hmm. is holier than thou by Jackie Hill Perry um, still really good. I am reading the chapter on why God's holiness means that he is also just. He also mm -hmm. has to be just. Um, so that's been, that's been good. Mm -hmm. I, I'm really enjoying it. I really can't stress how, like, good this book is. Wow. Yeah, I can't, I can't overstress it. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. All right, does that conclude our first segment? It does. Are we ready for your book recap? Are we ready for my book recap? I'm ready for my book recap. We'll I'm see ready. If, we'll see if the audience is. I'm jealous because it's a Malcolm Gladwell book. Yes, it is. You got to listen to some of it, though, which is a little sneak preview of the content of the slideshow. So. Oh, I did get to listen to yeah, some of this. Yeah, So, All right, so my book uh, that I finished is Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. Here are Here's the slideshow. If you're listening to it, no worries. You can go to that book podcast uh, slash episode nine. And you can see all the show notes and that Julian so wonderfully puts together. Yeah, it's thatbookpodcast.com. Thatbookpodcast.com slash episode dash nine. Yeah, we're not messing with any of those like weird like dot book or something. No, no, no. Yep, dot okay. com, just straight up. Um, and uh, this uh, slideshow will be embedded there. Julian figured out how to do that and stuff. Very fancy, very cool. So. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Uh, we're, we're really excited. We've been publishing the episodes. We're like, wow, this is real. So it's, it's really exciting. All right, so we have Outliers, The Story of Success by Malcolm Gladwell. How long it took to read? Um, so again, I listened to it, um, but three weeks, I, I believe. Somewhere between two and three weeks. So I said three weeks, and it was um, 
yeah, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about, about how, how much time that was. I think it would be funny if one time you listened to an audiobook and you were just like, well, the audiobook is five hours, so five hours, obviously. That would be so funny. It's like, how long did it take me? Oh, it took me five hours. <laughs> yeah. Of total time to... Yeah. Yes. Okay, sorry. That I just said that thought while you were talking. <laughs> and then I said, how much I made Julianne listen to it. Oh. And I said, roughly an hour because... Uh, we were driving to a friend's house, so they live an hour away, mm-hmm. and I had it playing. Uh, yeah. So she was she was listening to it uh, while we were we were listening to it together while we were going. She's like, "Am I am I gonna get the whole book spoiled for me if I listen to just this?" Is that when I was like, "No, no, 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 no worries. It like uh, they're they're kind of it's kind of a bunch of case studies um, that he ties together very rapidly at the end." So. I was like, no worries, and I, I don't feel like you felt like it was super spoilery, right? No, I didn't. Yeah. so I would still read the book, which is what I was worried about, is I was going to get enough of the book that I would feel like I didn't have to read it. Yeah, no. No, yeah, each uh, each like chapter or section provides just such, such a different angle on what he, on the overlying premise of what it takes to be successful, or like what things add up to make success. Yeah. Um, that it's, you can't just read one chapter and be like, all right, I got it, um, which is pretty cool. That is cool. So I have... Uh, an emotions while reading chart. Oh, I want to see this. Yes, and so this is a line chart rather than a uh, rather than like our pie charts that we've been doing because I want to be sophisticated and change it up. And wow. so yeah, and the no, normally the totals add up to a hundred because on a pie chart they have to add up to a hundred. Mm-hmm. Not this time. So I have it go in like phases. So uh-huh. as I'm reading it, I have curious, elated, and bewildered. And so curious um, starts pretty high. Yeah, it looks like it peaks pretty early. Yeah, yeah. So curious was was it was, um, was the highest one at the beginning because I was like, ooh, outliers, and then it went up just a little bit as I as time went on, and then it basically stayed, and then it kind of went down. Oh, I was looking at the wrong light. That's yeah, helpful. yeah, they're both a, a similar color. Mm-hmm. So whoops. Um, and then elated was very fun because I you know I wasn't exactly sure what to expect from this book. I started and I was like, okay, this is pretty cool. It's a Malcolm Gladwell book. I'm excited. And then it went. It skyrocketed at the beginning because I was just like, whoa, this is so cool. These case studies are so fascinating. This is amazing. Whoa. And then it kind of, it, it took a big drop as I was approaching the end because I had no idea what was happening <laughs> anymore. I was like, where are we going? Like, uh, so you see the drop in elation is very much at the same time as the rise in bewildered. Yes. Yeah, so bewildered is very small and then it grows a little bit because I'm like, whoa, how did this happen? And then it gets very high because I'm like, where... Like, what is happening? Where are we going with this book? Uh, am I missing something here? Like, is, has he been tying all of this together and I just didn't know about it? And the answer is yes and no. Um, and then it went back down as he ended it because he basically said, look at all of these things that we've talked about, all of these case studies. So now go figure out how in your life, like, what these, what these things uh, mean for you and also how to give people similar advantages to what all of these people have had because they're often really small advantages which I'll talk about in the takeaways a little bit more. Okay, cool. Oh, it's the takeaways time. Wow. Wow, that was very fast. Um, Good job. Yes. So, uh, it's a combination of kind of like, uh, all not the takeaways, but like the book. Um, you know, he ties it together with all of these. He goes, hey, we talked about this, we talked about this, we talked about this. One of those things is uh, your IQ doesn't determine your success. Your practical intelligence, which is what, when, and how to say something, does. Um, so, right, communication is so important. And so they talked about this guy who has, like, the highest IQ ever, basically. Um, uh, Chris Langan, 
and he hasn't really had any any academic success because uh, he's kind of started going down that road and he just kept getting hit with with pitfalls. He had a a, um, a pretty tough childhood with with a with his mom who had a lot of boyfriends kind of coming in and out and so it was not a stable environment and there wasn't really any money and so um, right getting into college and being able to provide for himself uh, was was a, was a struggle and so um, the the ways that the, the communication happened in his house did not set him up for success for the future mm-hmm. because he had all these key conversations with people um, like in the academic sphere as he was going right he crushed all of his classes um, but he like had a conversation with this professor where he's like, I don't really understand why you approached Matt that way. Can you explain more? Because I'm really excited to learn about it. But what the professor heard, right, because that's what he's thinking as he's, as he's approaching the professor, but what the professor heard was, oh, I disagree with you, and I'm not going to try hard in this class because, you know, I don't, I don't agree with you, or something to that effect. And so instead of having, like, a really great relationship with that professor, it kind of fizzled out. And so that was just one key, and then he tried to get um, some exceptions for classes, uh, to, to get switched around and stuff because of scheduling that he was trying to do because he was he didn't have a car or anything so he was trying to hitch a ride to school um, and uh, somehow there was a communication breakdown and they just didn't they just didn't go for it and his mom didn't sign a couple of, of lines of paperwork that needed for that he needed for his scholarship to continue so that fizzled out oh no yeah so all of these little things that totally derailed um, you know because he, he would have thrived in the academic space um, and what he does now is he try like he he writes papers, um, just cause as like his hobby. Like he just loves thinking about something. He says anytime he has a um, a problem he can't solve right away, he sleeps on it. He wakes up and he knows the answer. Um, he's just that smart. But it never like these opportunities didn't didn't uh, didn't happen uh, for him. There's just a lot of little unfortunate things that happen, and so now um, he's not able to have any any sort of prestige or recognition in that space. So his papers, um, in his mind, won't really have any influence, and so it's it's kind of kind of sad, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's so it's unfortunate. So those kinds of little little advantages or little things that come up time after time, and he's like, and Malcolm Gladwell's kind of like, how can we uh, take the advantages that other people had, um, and give them to people like Chris Lingen, who didn't get to have them, but if he did have all these, you know, just little things, um, his life would have been totally different. Um, and that would have made him an outlier, uh, yeah. right? Somebody who had great success um, because of these little things. So stuff like that is really cool. Um, another one, cultural backgrounds have generational implications. So um, he talked a lot about successful Jewish lawyers and doctors in New York City and how um, their cultural background and the things that made them, right, the things that, they're, that, that they valued culturally and then the skills that they had when they came to New York greatly translated into having opportunities uh, once the once the cultural landscape in New York shifted, um, because they weren't really allowed to to be in the 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 traditionally successful firms of like no no Jews can't be here you can't work with us sorry you know your cultural heritage isn't good enough to get in with our cool kids lawyer club wow which is crazy but so then they had to practice litigation which was you couldn't do that at the time like that was that was not something you were supposed to do at the time. But then suddenly the whole landscape shifted and litigation became where all the money was. Mm-hmm. And so all those people that were, all the Jewish lawyers that were ostracized before and, and they, were, they were told they couldn't be there, suddenly they get to be um, the really successful ones because they've been practicing um, in litigation for years and years and years, right? 
Um, and so he talks about like the 10,000 hour rule where the earlier you can get up to 10,000 hours in a skill or a trade um, or whatever that successful thing is, um, the, the, the better the advantages that you have are. Like, so he talks about Bill Gates um, had, was able to have um, a computer, access to a computer that basically nobody else in America did. Like him and like five other people um, had, had this access that nobody else really, really was able to have. And that gave him a huge advantage when the, revo- when the revolution started, right? The personal computer revolution. And so he got, he was, uh, in, and he talks about that with like Steve Jobs too, had similar advantages. And she was just like, whoa, that's crazy. You don't really think about those things because obviously those people are very, very smart. Mm-hmm. Um, but they also had time to practice those things. And so they had these little advantages um, that, that helped them be uh, so successful. Um, another takeaway, language matters. So the part that uh, Julianne listened to with me was about how, uh, was about why uh, Asians stereotypically are better at math and that that actually is true mm-hmm. um, in large part um, because their uh, language makes it more intuitive, makes early arithmetic much more intuitive for youngsters. Um, and so when they're four and five, they, they learn that they can be really good at math because it's intuitive um, for their language and then they just love it. And then that love translates into you know, pursuing it more and more and more and more, liking it, enjoying it, not being overwhelmed by it. Mm-hmm. And so by the time they get to high school, the, the little extra that they've worked year after year after year, year after year is totally paying off. And so then everybody goes, oh, they're just better at math. Well, kind of, they just like it more. So they, they practice it more, they do it more. Um, and so they're better at it, which I thought was really fascinating and really cool. Um, so a lot of these really cool case studies, like I was talking about, is, is awesome. And then last takeaway is successful people are the sum of small, subtle advantages coupled with the hard work that they, that they put in, um, which I thought was really interesting. And he says, again, how can we share those advantages with people um, who, who, who really need them? Um, or how can, you know, how can we make, uh, make it so that the world is better off because more people have the opportunities to, to do those things? So I was like, wow, that's really cool. Did I enjoy it? So I said, on a scale from Chris Langan's academic achievements, which I already explained, so I'm feeling pretty good about that. I wasn't sure if I was going to. uh, To Bill Gates' notoriety, this book is Bill Joy. Who is Bill Joy? Bill Joy is like, uh, his code basically built the internet. Okay. So I hadn't heard of him, but he's a super outlier, uh, and and his uh, legacy lives on. So, he's a, bit, he's a big thumbs up. I also hadn't heard of him. Uh, so, I was like, is that some sort of nickname for Bill Gates? Nope. is a different guy. So, whoops. Sorry, Bill Joy, that I didn't know who you were. But thank you for making the internet, basically. So, uh, yeah. And should you read it? Yes. I, I was going to put some big explanation, but I don't think I, don't think I need to. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm pretty sure everything I just said... Um, explains that you that you should and that I'm excited about it okay. what will I do now I'm gonna look for new ways to appreciate the opportunities that I've been given and f- and uh, find ways to take advantage of new opportunities as they arise um, and also look for ways to give other people those opportunities that, that I've had um, and so it's really cool to have this kind of language and this picture around that because right like my first boss in college I'm so so grateful for because it was a it was kind of a, a tough time right you're coming into your yourself in new ways that you hadn't before and uh, I was I was kind of losing all my confidence and he's just like hey you're awesome come work for me and also I'm gonna promote you 
like immediately and I was like, what's happening? This is crazy. Um, and that kind of, that was a huge, um, huge opportunity, huge advantage that, that I, that I had. Um, and I'm so grateful for, and I'm like, how can I provide those opportunities to other people? Um, so, uh, things like that. And I think that's my last slide. So, uh, I think we did it. Well, yeah. So thanks for, thanks for being here for our, uh, for our podcast this week. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. And again, you can find the show notes at that book, that book slash episode nine, episode dash nine, um, for, for all the show notes. And, uh, we hope that, that, uh, you're having a great week and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.